Well, good morning again. You might want to hold on to that journal uh, and hold on to those words that you've maybe circled or underlined because we may come back to that uh, a little bit later in the message here. Uh, we're in this study in the book of James. Uh, and James is teaching us over these last few weeks uh, that the life with God is a life that is lived. It is a faith that is lived out in obedience, so learning a new way of living. That life with God is way more than just mentally agreeing with certain doctrines or certain beliefs, but it is a way of living that is lived out in our very everyday life. Uh, it is increasingly righteous and holy in everything we do. James is not all that concerned with what people profess with their mouth, but he's much more concerned about the life that they put on display, the kind of life that would be good and pleasing and bringing hope for the world. It's a life that demonstrates hope in the midst of discouraging circumstances. It's a life that is persevering, as he says in the beginnings, persevering through trials of many kinds. It's a life that is able to use our words and the language that comes from our mouth to bring life and healing and not harm or division. It's a life that James would say is a life of obedience, learning to do what Jesus would do if he were living our life. We're recognizing that the ways of Jesus actually lead to the abundant good life that we've been made to live, a life that is true and righteous through and through. So we are learning, James will say, we are learning to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us as Jesus teaches us. We're learning to forgive as we have been forgiven. We're learning to care for the poor and the marginalized, those that are forgotten in society. We're learning to use our words to bless and bring hope to people rather than divisive and edginess to our words. Certainly not perfect, but we are learning this new life, to put that life into practice, James would say, to not just say about it or talk about it, but to live that faith out. Well, we're in chapter 3 now in James, and at the end here of chapter 3 and a little bit into chapter 4, James is going to compare two kinds of life, two kinds of wisdom, and he's reiterating that what we allow into our hearts or into our minds, the, the kinds of thoughts, the kind of things that drive us, will have a way of working their way out into our very life. What we have in our hearts or what we dwell our minds on has a way of working out into our actions and our words and how we live. And so it's important, James will say, to pay attention to what is influencing us. What is the wisdom? What is the place that we're thinking about? It's important to think about that, where that may lead us. Because what influences us has ramifications on the kind of life and the kind of quality of life that we exhibit now and are prepared for the rest of eternity. And so James is going to compare these two kinds of sources of influence on us, and he's going to show us where they lead and where they take us, the directions that they take us. And the first kind that he describes is what he, I will call, what he kind of describes as heavenly wisdom. Wisdom that comes from above, he will say. So if you have a Bible with you or an app on your phone or something you want to follow along with me, I'm in James chapter 3. We're going to work our way through the end and a little bit in James chapter 4. But James chapter 3, verse 13, James writes this. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let them show it by their good life, deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's a pack, this is a packed, theologically packed and dense statement or sentence, and I don't have time to unpack all of it. But what he's saying here is as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that the source of true wisdom is God alone. And so if anyone who's wise or has wisdom or, or comes from a life with God, then we recognize that's a life from heavenly wisdom or life with God. The writer of Proverbs would say that the fear of the Lord or knowledge of God is the beginning of all of wisdom, that pure and righteous wisdom comes from God alone, only from God. So James is saying, who's wise among you? Who has wisdom among you? If you've been enlightened at all by the love of God, you have the, the knowledge of God in your life at all, then you will demonstrate that by a good life and your good deeds that are done in the humility that comes from this heavenly wisdom. It's good deeds that are done in the humility that comes from righteous wisdom. And the word that James uses to describe good, here the good deeds that are done in humility of wisdom, doesn't always mean morally good or correct or ethically right. Although it certainly has that connotation to it. But the word that he uses specifically that's translated to say good, good deeds, might better be understood that it is appealing. It's beautiful. It's aromatic. It's, it's beautiful to look at. It has a quality to it that is good. So James says if you have real wisdom, if you have true good wisdom from God, then it would be demonstrated in this beautiful deeds that are done with humility that comes from that kind of wisdom. Such goodness and quality, beauty that comes from your kind of life. Not only that it would be shown, but there would be a gentleness or humbleness. Sometimes that word is, is translated to be meekness that comes from the humility of wisdom. And that kind of meekness, gentleness, humility from godly wisdom, others will find beautiful, good, pleasing to be around, and even healing to be around, right? So James is saying that the Christian life, if any of you has wisdom, anyone is following the ways of Jesus, then it would be characterized by deeds, actions that are done in the meekness or gentleness or humility that brings about healing and goodness and a beauty to your life that has a beauty, a beautiful smell to it. It's just aromatic. It fills the room with it. When I'm driven by heavenly wisdom, then I'm gentle and humble and meek because I know how fallible I am. I know how, what, what I'm made of. I know how quickly I can fall and stumble into sin. I know that I need a Savior. I know that I need redemption. And so I'm learning to cease walking with arrogance or pride I'm learning not to live with condemnation over others and their sinful life. And there's less harshness or, or drive in my tone of voice. There's less edge to the way I speak because I recognize the fallibility that I live with in my own heart, in my own life. The Christian life would be one that is done with meekness 
gentleness, the deeds, the actions that are done. When I'm learning to be driven by heavenly wisdom, there would be this beauty to me. And if you've ever met somebody that lived with this sweet gentleness to them, without condemnation over other people's sin or their wrongdoing or anything else, but lived with such humility and meekness and gentleness, then you know that their life was truly beautiful, good, and healing to be around. Healing to be around. James is saying that when you follow Jesus, if any of you have any inclination to follow Jesus, it would be shown in the way in which you walk and live with deeds that are beautiful, meek, and gentle, and they would bring healing to those around you. Because a life that's directed by God would produce the kind of actions that are gentle on display for others to experience. And it would bring harmony and flourishing to the people around me. And it would be nothing less than beautiful in all of its ways. Listen how James will describe the quality of that life. Later in James chapter 3, pick it up in verse 17 and 18. This is what we read in our Lectio Divina. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Notice what he's saying here, right? These words that describe the quality of a life of someone who's directed by heavenly wisdom. They're not things we do. They're not boxes to check on a religious checkoff list. They describe how we do what we do. It's not what we do. It's how we do it. With purity, with sincerity, with, uh, with uh, peace, right? Submissive, they're considerate. It's not just what they do. It's how they do what they do. I'm just reminded by James here that a healthy spiritual life is not a checklist of religious things to do, things to read, places to go, things to do, but it's a way of living. It's a way of being in this world that brings harmony and flourishing to not only my life, but to the lives around me. People mistakenly assume that a healthy spiritual life is a matter of doing religious things, but it's less about doing certain things. It's more the manner with which we do them that brings a spiritual healthiness to my life. And when my minds are led by heavenly wisdom, thoughts from above about the nature of who God is and who I am, then my actions, my deeds, will be characterized by purity and peace and consideration and be full of mercy and impartial and sincere and my life and your life will be profoundly beautiful in every way. James is really saying that we will reap a harvest of righteousness, of goodness, of holiness. will be more at home in our life when we operate from heavenly wisdom, from God's perspective. But sadly, not, we don't always live and act from heavenly wisdom. For there's another wisdom at play in our world, and there's another wisdom at play in our own life that James will describe as earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, he says. 
So listen now in James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. He says it this way. If you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So notice something about earthly wisdom, right? If heavenly wisdom brings this beauty and this good deeds done in humility or meekness from heavenly wisdom, deeds done from an earthly wisdom are predominantly concerned with me, making me great. Selfish ambition, seeking everything for myself. Bitter envy because I'm jealous over what you have that I think I should have more than you. And it portrays myself as better than you or anyone else. And there's condemnation that comes. There's an edge to the tone of the voice when I'm living from an earthly wisdom and not a heavenly wisdom. When I'm driven by earthly wisdom, it leads to a breakdown of relationships on all levels. And it's easy how people live with condemnation of putting others down because when I'm looking for an earthly wisdom, it's all about me. Selfish ambition, bitter envy, jealousy, and all the rest come from this earthly wisdom. It's not about what God is doing. It's about how I can make myself great and better in everyone else's Eyes. Earthly wisdom is driven by this fear of missing out or missing being the, the number one or being on top. And so this incessant desire to be better than everyone else on all levels just constantly drives me towards all sorts of evil practices and disorder and things all along the way that break apart relationships at every level. And so James says something very interesting here. If you're driven by this predominantly selfish motivation, predominantly about me, this earthly wisdom, James says don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. If your life is driven by passions that are not heavenly but are earthly, then, then don't brag or put that on display for other people. And isn't it crazy that James would have to tell us that? Don't brag about being arrogant and prideful and selfish. Right? But that's exactly what happens in our culture. We, we promote the people that are self-righteous. They get their own TV shows, right? That's what, they, that's what happens. He says, don't, don't brag about that. Don't put that on display because that's evil practices on all corners and everything. But when we lose sight of, of God's heavenly wisdom and we think that this world is all that there really is, then our minds are hypnotized by the prevailing culture around us. We begin to live as if this world, this life, this, this thing we see, this material that we see, that this is all of its most important, that there's nothing beyond. There's nothing more eternal than what we experience in the here and now. And because of this, if our mindset, if this is all there is, then we should let no desire go unmet. We, we submit or we go to our all the lengths to get to all of our desire, whatever it costs. No restraint whatsoever. And we pursue desires, we pursue things that bring about brokenness and, and clamor after things that don't promise or that don't deliver on their promises. 
We talk negatively about other people. We put them down. We gossip. We slander. We are selfish ambition. We overspend. We're consuming our own things. We have sexual promiscuity at whatever tactic we could get whatever we want, when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. No desire goes unrestrained because this is all it is. Live it up. You only live once. So just go for here. And James is going to say interesting things here. He says, first of all, don't brag about that. It won't lead to the abundant, beautiful life, but also don't hide it. Don't pretend that it's not there. It's only when you humble yourself and you weep and mourn of the brokenness that this earthly wisdom leads us to that we're ready to experience a transformation of our own character. It's only when we acknowledge it that we can be ready to transform our heart into the life of Christ. See, the prevailing culture for James's day and for our day is driven by these earthly desires, these earthly wisdom, trying to convince that just do whatever's right for you. What feels good right now is good for you, so you do you, we say, right? Just do you. James says, be careful. Be careful. For a life where you, quote, do you, where the highest goal is to meet whatever desire you want in the moments you want it will inhibit you from seeing the kingdom of God and it will lead you to disorder of all kinds of evil practices and everything in your life is affected and the life around you is affected. Be careful, James says, for that does not lead to a life of eternal quality. While a harvest, we will harvest a life of righteousness when we live from heavenly wisdom, he says you will harvest a life of sin for those who are serving themselves. And sin is always ugly and it always breaks down and it never comes through on its promises. And this is not the life that God wants for you, James says. It's not the quality, the kind of life that God wants for you. But even if we're allowing earthly wisdom to drive us, James gives us good hope. For in James chapter 4, he says, God gives you more grace. More grace. Right? He's provided a way for you. Even when you're driven by earthly wisdom, he's provided a way for you to experience his grace and his abundant mercy. So James chapter 4, verses 6 to 10 James writes this, he, meaning God, he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James is going to get very practical here about how to live in the heavenly wisdom and not in the earthly wisdom. Growing in our spiritual life involves our participation with the Spirit of God. The grace is, is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to our effort. And so James is going to get really practical about the kind of effort that we can do to grow in the grace that God is giving us to live according to heavenly wisdom and not earthly wisdom. 
to live into this life of abundance and happiness and joy and peace. For it is only found when we intentionally put aside earthly wisdom and take up heavenly wisdom. When we put aside the earthly passions and we take up heavenly passions, we will find, it's the only way that we will find a life of happiness and joy and peace and abundance on all the rest. The life group that Gina and I are in are reading a book together. And in this book, the author quotes C.S. Lewis. And Lewis writes this, he says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as happiness and peace and joy and goodness apart from a life lived with God in heavenly wisdom. For if we try to find happiness and joy and peace and goodness and fruitfulness, a life apart from God, a life according to earthly wisdom, it simply is not there. And so what Lewis and James are saying very similarly is that life can be truly beautiful when we're found, when we intentionally follow heavenly wisdom. We put aside the earthly things and the earthly passions of this prevailing culture and we intentionally take on the heavenly wisdom that God has provided for us. And James is going to get very practical about how we do that in our everyday life. And he gives us three suggestions in the part that I just read for us. Three ways to take on heavenly wisdom to walk according to this way rather than the ways of the earthly wisdom that surrounds us so, so frequently. And the first suggestion is to submit to God. Submit to God. To submit to God means so I acknowledge our sin. And sin is the refusal to let God be God. And when we try to find happiness and joy and peace apart from God, apart from obedience to God, then that leads to sin and brokenness. And the first step towards taking on God's heavenly wisdom is to surrender, to acknowledge my sin, my refusal to let God be God. And I want you to notice something about James here and remind you that James is writing to the church. He's writing to people who know Jesus. He's writing to the followers of Christ. He's writing to Christians. Sometimes we think about surrendering or submitting to God as something that non-Christians do. The non-Christians, in order to start a life with God, you need to surrender, submit your life to God, which is absolutely true. In order to start a life with God, we need to surrender, but we need to recognize that submission to God is a regular, daily thing that we do. This is not one thing you did at some camp meeting 25 years ago, but this is something you do on a regular basis. We surrender, submit to God. Jesus would say that if anyone wants to be his follower, he must take up his cross daily and follow after him. We submit, acknowledge our missing the mark, our times when we've been following earthly wisdom. We admit that on a regular basis. We surrender that, submit that to God. I wonder if we could do that this morning, just in a few moments here. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. I'm not gonna, we're not going to do that. But if I wonder if we could look back on James's list here of earthly wisdom, following the passions of the earthly desires. And if I wonder if you could reflect on your life, this just this past week, and where maybe you might need to submit and acknowledge and surrender an area that you have been allowing earthly wisdom to drive your decisions. 
and your actions. Where are you, where am I, harboring bitter envy, he says. Where are we driven by envy? Someone who has something that we want for ourselves. Where are we driven by selfish ambition or vanity, pride, and arrogance? Where am I driven to think that I'm the only one who's got the corner on what's right? That I'm always right and everyone else is always wrong. Where am I tempted to think that I'm the only one who sees things clearly? James says, grieve, mourn, and wail about these things. Submit, acknowledge them. Have honest reflection of the condition of our heart. Confess that to the Lord. Where am I still missing the mark? James would tell us, don't brag about that. Don't air it out, but don't sweep it under the rug. Don't pretend it's not there. Openly confess and surrender that area. Submit that. Acknowledge it and agree that this is missing the mark. That's what it means to submit to God, to confess to God. Now, I can kind of understand that, wrap my mind around acknowledgement and confession, but what does it mean to surrender that area to God? What does it mean to surrender it? And that's, I think, James's second suggestion for us, which is very practical, and that is to draw near to God. He says, come near to God. He said, actually, to flee the devil. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God. God will come near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near. If you're going to live from a place of heavenly wisdom, then we have to draw our minds and our hearts back to the presence of God that's always with us. To draw that back. To submit the areas where we've missed, but then to to bring God's presence back to our mind and our hearts. To not only acknowledge, but to invite the presence of God into our daily life. And a practice we've shared with you many times here is the practice of breath prayer. It's a good practice to get into, to incorporate this into our daily activities. Just take deep, slow breaths. And as you take these deep breaths, the rhythm of your breathing, you say a short prayer. And when you inhale, you simply say, my life, my life. And then as you exhale, you say, in your hands, in your hands, my life, in your hands. I wonder if we could do that this morning. We've already thought about an area where we need to submit to God, but perhaps we can try this breath prayer, an area where you need to surrender your, your vanity, your greed, your jealousy, your use of words to be edgy and cut others down, maybe with sarcastic humor, but really it's to cut people down, and you need to surrender that. And when you recognize it, perhaps we can take just a couple seconds here to take a couple of deep breaths. And when your rhythm of your breathing, you just simply say, my life in your hands, God. My life in your hands. James gives a third suggestion. And that is to purify your hearts. James 3.8, he says to wash your hands and purify 
your hearts. And this is where growth in the kingdom life involves something for you to do, to clear out the impurity and the deceit and the vanity within you. To actually put into practice, to, to purify, to, to do something to seek to see God's goodness come around. And because chapter 3 talks about how we use our words, and if you were to read on to chapter 4, you'd instruct you to not slander against or speak against someone else, right? To not use your words to put others down like that. The suggestion I want to bring to us this morning is to have one day, intentionally one day this week, to purify how we speak about other people. Last week, if you were here, the the invitation was to practice a period of silence, to intentionally restrain my words from speaking, right? But this morning, let me add to that and suggest simply that you spend one day this week, just one, one day this week without any kind of gossip, right? James Bryan Smith defines gossip by speaking negatively about someone when they're not present, Speaking negatively about someone when they're not present. Just take one day this week, just one, and intentionally say, today I'm not going to say anything negative about someone who's not here. And maybe not even when they're here, right? Maybe one day. We do this really often, by the way. To people we know and people we don't know. We speak negatively about the people in the news media, the people that are the celebrities, the athletes, the people we have no clue who they are, but we are real quick to speak negatively about them, about what they've done, about what they've said, about people in our work environment, about people in our neighborhood. We're real quick to speak negative. What would happen if just one day this week that we would not only submit to God, that we would draw near to God, and then just one day we purified our speech by committing to intentionally to not speak negatively about someone when they're not present, right? When we, when we sow into a heavenly wisdom, James says, we reap a harvest of righteousness, of goodness. What comes from a life lived with God is this good this beautiful, this aromatic life that brings healing. So there's gentleness, there's meekness, there's humility to it. But it will take an intentional effort to put aside earthly wisdom and to take on heavenly wisdom. To submit to God, to draw near to his presence and intentionally purify our actions in just one way this week. And then maybe, if you're in a life group or a family or close friends, maybe just share that experience this week with somebody. What was it like? You chose to do that on Tuesday. What was it like? When were you tempted to say something and how did you hold yourself back? And maybe we can might take one step closer to this righteous living that God has for us that is beautiful and healing on all levels. Let me pray for us, for you. Jesus, we acknowledge that there are many times that we operate from earthly wisdom, wisdom that is unspiritual, not healing, 
that is divisive and hurtful. And for that, we are sorry. I pray for your grace to increase in our life, that we would know you more, walk accordingly, and the life that we put on display would be beautifully good. And it would be pleasing, healing to many people, ourselves included. It's in your name we pray. Amen.